0: How many of you have done some Christmas shopping already? Okay, well, don't, don't raise your hand if your spouse is watching and they're not supposed to know, right? Um, how many of you have a lot of Christmas shopping to do yet because there are a lot of people to buy for? Okay, I think it's good in these seasons where many who are in a room like this who are so blessed and who are trying to figure out how to get all that done can remember that there are folks who are going through homelessness here in our community, here in Chester County, not very far away, that we can remember, not out of some kind of guilt trip or anything like that, but just remember that there are people in this time when we do, we we try not to focus all on the stuff, right? But doesn't the stuff creep in to your Christmas time? It's a good time to remember that there are others in need, that we can be praying for them, that we can be supporting, um, supporting homeless families in our community through Bridge of Hope, but also coming alongside them with the help of Bridge of Hope. And so uh, this is a timely, uh, a timely service for us to be able to, to be reminded by Ty and, and by what you saw on the screen, by here's a, that. Um, that there's a lot that we still can do. And so talk to Ty at the connection table afterwards if you'd like to, uh, or if you're not able to sort through that yet today, um, let me know later on and and we'll get you connected because uh, we do have opportunities to to bless folks around us who are just not quite as financially and uh, and materially blessed as you and I might be. Uh, Would you pray with me, church? God, we pause now to remember our neighbors who... um, who are not as blessed. And there are so many ways that we are blessed and there are so many things that we need. And same with those around us. Lord, we're all a little bit different, but help us to rally around each other in love and in support, with compassion, and with friendship. And I pray that you'll bless Bridge of Hope as they continue to uh, fulfill their mission of ending homelessness for families in Chester County. Um, Thank you, God, for this chance to, uh, to remember our blessings today. Please help us not to be forgetful. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So a couple of just detail notes for you. For those of you who are joining us online, welcome. I'm glad you're doing so. Uh, If you are joining us online and you notice that the the picture quality is better, the things are better, or if things are worse, please let us know. Um, Church, you might notice the the camera here in the back. We've replaced some of our other stuff because we had a camera failure uh, in the last week or so. We had to hustle to get some stuff together, and so some people were working. We've got a different thing. For those of you at old media and you remember the remote control cameras on the wall, this is a similar kind of thing, but it's a 20. 2023 version instead of a 2007 version. Um, But for those of you who are joining us online, uh, we're trying to to keep you connected whenever and wherever you're watching us. Um, And also, church, over this next season, and that includes here the month of December and into January and February and into March we have some youth in our church who are preparing for youth Bible quizzing. Some of you came through that program and you know all about it. A few of you are still learning about it, but what this is is that kids who are, I believe in seventh grade up through about age 20 can participate in youth Bible quizzing. There are um, hundreds of kids around Lancaster and Chester and, and um, some other counties. I'm not sure exactly how far we reach, but um, we'll be gathering in January, February, and March to, uh, to quiz, uh, to have these uh, kind of matches based based on this year, the Gospel of Luke. And so between now and March, our quiz teams, and we have three different quiz teams here, I'll introduce you to them in a couple of weeks, but we have three different quiz teams who are gonna be studying the Gospel of Luke. And so this year, um, while they're studying those, I'm gonna be preaching through the Gospel of Luke and trying to kind of have our Sunday sermons lined up with the Sundays when they are gonna be quizzing in the afternoon or evening on those same passages. Why do we do that? Well, because quizzing is all about what does the Bible say? Quizzing doesn't get into, okay kids, what does this mean? What was Luke talking about when he said it? it? Simply says, you know, in quizzing, it's who said this? When did this happen? Where did they go? It's all just very much what the text says. It's basic facts, okay? I'm hopeful that through January, February, and March, we can be adding in some of the meaning and some of the application underneath that. So we're going to be studying the book of Luke for the next little while, and and here's a little curveball for you. Um, We're going to be reading during the sermon time, we're going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version of Scripture, rather than the NIV. Now, typically we use the NIV here at church just because we're used to it, and we like it, and it's wonderful. But for quizzing, they use the ESV, and there are... Now, church, I want you to wrap your head around this. There are teenagers who are in this room right now who will have Luke 1 through 15 memorized by Easter. Okay, grown-ups, I challenge all of you to do the same. But there are teenagers who will have Luke 1 through 15 memorized by Easter, and they're going to be quizzing on it, and they're learning it from the ESV because of some publication stuff, and that's what quizzing does. I thought it might be kind of mean if I were to preach and read every morning from the NIV, which is... It's saying the same stuff, but there's, you know, there's a couple little words that are just a little bit different. So Austin, you're welcome. But we're going to be reading from the ESV and preaching through the book of Luke, and we're going to continue that today here in this third Sunday of Advent. We're, we're looking at these songs. Last week, Pastor Steve preached from um, from the Gospel of Luke about Mary's song, the Magnificat, right? And if you were here, you remember that. Um, this week, I'm going to be preaching about Zechariah's song. Next week, on the 17th, we're going to be looking at the angel's song that was sung to the shepherds who were out in the fields. And on the 24th, we have... Worship services on Christmas Eve. On the 24th, on that Sunday morning, we're going to be looking at Simeon's song in Luke chapter 2. So we're looking at Mary and Zechariah and the angels and Simeon and these four songs that they sang as they prepared for and celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ these thousands of years ago. The things that have already happened as we stay here in this position of recognizing what has already happened and yet what has not yet been fully fulfilled. So, before we get into this, uh, this little chunk of Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1, a, a little bit of background, just, just a little bit of context so we can know where we're coming from. Um, the uh, Old Testament, which is all the stuff in the Bible that was written before the birth of Jesus, the Old Testament ends in Malachi in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, with this mysterious phrase, okay? The Old Testament says this, God speaking through Malachi said, see. I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's kind of how the Old Testament wraps up. And what's really interesting and and strange and confusing and difficult is that it's a terrible ending for a book. I mean, this was written about 400 years before Jesus Christ came. But Malachi said, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I would come and strike the land with a curse. Now you may say, Jesse, what's the big deal? Who cares? It just sounds like some Old Testament prophetic stuff. But I would suggest to you, Christians, in 2023... This is the kind of writing, this is the kind of prophesy from Malachi that if you were sitting in a movie theater and watching it as a movie, you would get to the end of the movie and say, oh, they're setting us up for part two. Have you ever seen some of those films? Most of them, frankly, are not very good. Most of the really good films are one offs but eh, we can argue about that later. But you get to some of those films, you're like, oh, there's something hanging, there's some foreshadowing, there's some things that are going to happen yet, and we've already been sitting here two and a half hours, I guess they'll bring it to us next year and let us pay $15 again. The sequel, the sequel helps to continue the story, and that's what Malachi at the end of the Old Testament really was setting up that we saw in the New Testament, now, Malachi is talking about Elijah at Malachi's time, again, about 400 years before Jesus. Elijah had already lived and died a few hundred years before that. And so here is Malachi bringing this prophecy from God that says to the Jewish people that I am going to send Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Elijah will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children will turn to their fathers, or also I will come. Malachi is talking about this, about something that's going to happen, and and through an Elijah who has already been there, and this is how the Old Testament ends. And so there were many in Jesus' day who knew this prophecy centuries ago from from Malachi, about Elijah centuries before that. Many in Jesus' day believed that this passage, this end of the Old Testament, pushed the idea that Elijah would come back from the dead. People were left hanging, wondering, waiting. Malachi, why? God, you're speaking through Malachi. What are you talking about with Elijah coming back? And so people waited, and God was silent. Because after Malachi penned these words, this prophecy about Elijah returning, and God's judgment coming, and the Lord turning people towards each other or else, After Malachi wrote those words, there were no more prophets and no more written revelations from God for 400 years. Did you realize that? From the time of the Old Testament ending until the time of the New Testament writings beginning, there were about 400 years in there before the birth of Jesus where God didn't speak through the prophets anymore. God didn't give them written stuff to study anymore. 400 years, that's longer than the United States has been a country. For 400 years, God left this hanging. Elijah will come. There will be someone who will, who will help turn the hearts of fathers and, and children towards each other. And for 400 years, the Israelites waited as God was silent. Just that 10 seconds of silence right there was kind of awkward, wasn't it? <laughs> 400 years of a people who had been hearing from God and listening for God and hearing from all their prophets, hearing through through Moses and hearing from Elijah and Jeremiah and all the prophets and Isaiah, hearing over and over, this is what God says, this is how God's telling you to live, over and over. And then Malachi wrote what he wrote about Elijah and for 400 years there was silence. How are you with silence these days? Have you ever been in a small group praying and there's like, 20 or 30 seconds of silence, it feels like forever, doesn't it? Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed about a struggle in your life, and as best as you could tell, God was silent? How does that feel to you? I mean, is your house ever quiet? I know some of you, some of you, you have those moments and you look forward to that, but some of you are the kind of people or you live with the kind of people that just have to always have something on, a radio in the background or or the podcast or the TV's always on. You're not watching it. No, I'm not. I just need that noise. We are not people who do well with silence. I try to get away from the noise, but do you know how hard it is within a three-hour drive to find any place where you don't hear anything? Even if you can get far enough away from the streets and the highways that you don't hear the cars, it's not very long until that jet goes over, right? You who love to sit in the woods and hunt for whatever it is that you hunt for, you know the joy, right, of just kind of being out and being away, but is it ever silent? Even out there, nature is around you, but oh, the noise of humanity is everywhere. We don't like silence because we're not used to it. We certainly don't like silence from God when we're asking for something because it's uncomfortable to be without. I think we can understand what the Israelites might have been feeling when for 400 years after Malachi leaves them hanging, for 400 years they're waiting, this Elijah, he's going to come back? What does this mean? There's going to be, but there's going to be a savior and there's going to be, they're, they're looking forward to all this. For 400 years God is silent. But, but that's just human perspective, Right? I think it's helpful to think about what things look like from God's perspective. From humans' perspective and from what we see in Scripture, there was silence, there was nothing to write down, there was nothing new to read. But through those 400 years, God was working, God was active on behalf of humankind and on behalf of his gospel. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4 that when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. God has been at work the whole time, even though it seems like he has been silent. But when the time had fully come, when everything was ready and prepared, God delivered. God was silently but actively preparing the world stage for the coming of the Savior. Some of you are history buffs. And you'll remember the name Alexander the Great. How many of you have at least heard of that? You'll admit that you've heard, yeah, well, you heard of Alexander the Great. He became famous around the world. He was a Greek ruler that God allowed to come into power about 350 years before Jesus. So within that silent time between Malachi and Jesus Christ, Alexander the Great came to power. And as Alexander the Great took his army around the Mediterranean region, as he conquered what he would have called the world, he set up cities and he set up libraries for the sole purpose of spreading the Greek culture and the Greek language. He was a proud Grecian. And he said, I want the world to have our culture. And so you'll remember Perhaps from your history text, how ruthlessly and how violently he did that, spreading the Greek culture around the world. And of course, we know that the Greeks at that time valued philosophy and learning and language. And so they built their libraries and they had their cultural centers. By the time that Rome came to power, just a bit later, Greek, because of the work... Of Alexander the Great, Greek was the language of commerce and education all around the Mediterranean and in the Western world. The Greek language had been established. People were learning to read and learning to converse, even though they came from backgrounds that were either illiterate or didn't have a language, or didn't have a language that they could understand with their neighbors. And so by the time Rome came to power, the Old Testament, in fact, had been translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. Okay, So by the time Rome came to power, Greek language and culture and Greek learning has been spreading around the Mediterranean all while the Israelites feel as if God has been silent. And while that Greek has been spreading around, Christians have been learning that Greek and now they're translating the Old Testament into Greek so that the world can read the Old Testament. Now Gentiles, those who were not Israeli or Hebrews in their background Gentiles were able to become acquainted with the principles of scripture. They could see how Judaism worked. They could see the words of God to Moses and through Moses to all the people. And so later when the biographies of Jesus were written in the New Testament, they were written in Greek. And God had been working for those hundreds of years, even through Alexander, even through the Roman Empire to put a common language around the Mediterranean Sea so that people could read the Old Testament and they could read the accounts of Jesus Christ in one language that was Greek, not because the Greek language is so great, but because God loves to communicate. And I ask you, was God really silent during those 400 years? When Rome came to power, one of the lasting legacies was a system of roads going to every part of the empire. They're saying, all roads lead to Rome. Have you heard that before? Right? So, So think about, between the time that Malachi had his kind of enigmatic prophecy about Elijah and the time when Jesus actually came God allowed in the world for Alexander the Great to spread the Greek language around to spread Greek Writing and Greek learning around and he allowed the Romans to build a network of roads so that when Jesus came The gospel of our Lord could be written down in Greek and it could be quickly and easily Taken around the world through these roads that were built by Rome Isn't it nice when the tax dollars do something that helps the church? It's amazing what a change of perspective can bring. As humans, we might say God was silent. I wonder if any, if any Jews said, God, where are you? And yet from heaven, God looked down and said, hang on, I'm building a language. Hang on, I'm building some roads. Hang on, guys, I'm putting together an infrastructure so that when my son, the Savior, arrives, the news can get around like that. Don't you love worshiping and serving a God who is so active and who is so perfect and who is able to work so perfectly through things so that even when we don't understand it, God says, I've got this. This is the kind of God we serve. And this God spoke to Zechariah. Moving ahead to Luke chapter 1 now. You can open up your Bibles there. I know it's been a lot of prelude, a lot of introduction here, right? But this is is what we're finding as we get up to this story about Zechariah and his song. After 400 years of silence, when everything was finally ready, God spoke again through an angel. Angel, by the way, that word means messenger. A message was being delivered. The angel's name was Gabriel. We'll see him later popping up in the book of Luke. The angel's name was Gabriel, and he spoke to a priest named Zechariah. Now, Zechariah and his wife were going to have a baby. Their son's name was going to be John. And that baby was the very one that Malachi promised would come like Elijah. What's really interesting here is that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they were very old. Some people would say Zechariah was the kind of guy that had one foot in the grave and the other foot on a banana peel. You've heard that one? And God spoke to him and said, you're going to have a son, even after they had never had any children. And so an angel spoke to Zechariah. An angel spoke to Zechariah, who was a priest. An angel spoke to Zechariah, who he and his wife had been infertile. And an angel spoke to him and said, you're going to have a son. Now, despite Zechariah's awareness that God was at work. Despite Zechariah's awareness of all of the scripture and the prophecy of the Old Testament about what was going to come, Zechariah didn't receive the announcement from Gabriel very well. I mean, there are examples in the Bible of people having babies who wouldn't have been expected to have babies. Abraham and Sarah were one of those kind of situations. But Zechariah in Luke 1.18 basically says to Gabriel, "Um, Gabriel, thanks, but are you sure? Like, is this message, you ever get a message, a letter, an email, a text, a a phone call and say, is this for me? This doesn't make any sense. Zechariah Zechariah says, are you sure? And in response, again, I'm paraphrasing here, but the angel said, well, now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day your son is born because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. And that almost sounds like Zechariah being punished, doesn't it? But once again, is it possible, church, is it possible that things can be happening even though there is silence? Is it possible that God can be at work even though somebody's not Yapping. Well, if you're sitting here in the sanctuary, you might say, I wouldn't know. (laughs) Speaking out loud is not the only sign of God being at work. And I wonder if there's a little bit of a lesson in that here with Zechariah. Because him just asking, Gabriel, are you sure? That doesn't seem like a big thing to, to be punished for, does it? It doesn't seem quite fair. I don't know that Zechariah was actually being punished here. I wonder if in that time of silence, God was preparing Zechariah by helping him keep his mouth shut so that he could be prepared for Christmas. So that he could be prepared for the birth of his son, and not only his son, but the Savior who his son would announce. Because some of us need to hush so that we can hear more of God. That's just an idea from a guy that talks a lot. I wish, I wish that the Bible recorded the conversation that went on when when Zechariah got back from work that day. When he went back to his wife, who the scripture says is, is, (coughs) well he didn't say it and, and I can't say it about any women ever who are alive, but since she's dead I think Elizabeth will forgive me. She was old. And so even though he couldn't speak because he had this encounter with God, I hope you read about it in Luke chapter one today just to get all of the color of it. But he went home. He couldn't speak, but he could read and write. So I imagine he wrote a little note and passed it, pass it to Elizabeth and said, uh, we're having a baby. What would she have said? The angel said, what? Now you, now you want, wait, we're, what? We're supposed, wouldn't that be fun to know? Maybe in heaven one day we can sit at a fire with Zechariah and Elizabeth and said, hey guys, what was that like? Until now, we just guessed, but God silenced Zechariah for a while just as God had been silent for 400 years even though he was working. And the Bible says in Luke 1, 24, that after this thing happened, after this announcement, after the silence, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months she remained in seclusion. Why? Think about that. But here we are. God's prophecy is coming through. Zechariah silenced, and his wife is pregnant. How many of you wives would have liked it if your husband would have been more silent when you were pregnant? See, the Scripture gives us all these stories about God working through regular people, right? Think about this stuff. It's so fun to see God's story unfolding in Scripture. And at some point, it all came into focus for Zechariah. In the silence, God prepared him to understand a bigger picture than just a miraculous birth to an elderly couple. Because when the baby was born those months later, and as everybody was saying, what shall we name him? Elizabeth, what are you going to name him? John, who was silent. I imagine him with maybe a little chalkboard around his neck and a piece of chalk. John, what, what do you think we're going to name him? John says, writes, I'm sorry. Zechariah, what are you going to name your son? And Zechariah writes, his name is John. And at that moment, at that moment, his mouth is loose. He's able to speak again. And this is what he says. Look what Zechariah says after these months of silence. After these months. Remember, he's a priest. This is a guy who follows after God, who knows the scripture. He's been thinking. And as a priest, if he can't speak, there's a limit to the work that he was able to do. Maybe he had some extra time off. But Zechariah, it says in Luke chapter one, verse 67. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. He he prophesied, he spoke about what was going to be and told the truth about what was. Here's what he said when his mouth was finally opened. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Those are some words, aren't they? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. A horn of salvation, a horn is something to focus on, something to think about, something that has meaning and power. And so he says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. In other words, this Messiah, Jesus, comes from the right group of people and and is in the right kind of spot. Hear this Zechariah who had been quiet for so long. Here this Zechariah says that God's promises are coming true. In verse 70, as God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, child... You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah understands now that his son John is born that there's going to be another one because that's how it was. Elijah was going to talk about the Savior. And so he looks and he says, You, child, John, God is going to do amazing things through you and you are going to talk about another child. They didn't yet know that it was Jesus, but there's going to be one, and he's going to be here soon, and he's going to be the Savior, and God's going to deliver us, and this is going to happen. And meanwhile, people say, God's been silent? Perhaps silent. But do you know anyone who is silent but powerful? Do you know anyone who speaks softly but carries a big stick? Do you know that the kingdom of God is a matter not of talk, but of power? Do we remember that just yapping isn't the whole story? How many of you love it when you see a ball game or a boxing match or a sports contest where the person who was out there just gets crushed. How many of you sports fans, how many of you racing fans just love it when the big talker is putting it? It's not all about what we say, is it? See. Noise doesn't always mean action. And here in the time leading up to Jesus, God was silent, but there was work happening. Here in the time up to the birth of John, Zechariah was silent, but there was stuff happening. And when he speaks, he just drops the bomb. He says, the knowledge of salvation is coming to God's people. The forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, this is coming to God's people. Zechariah sang the song, but it's not a lullaby. This is a song of faith. And Zechariah sang about his son John and what was going to be, but also not just because John was such a great kid. We all think our kids are great when they're born, don't we? He sang about his son John because of what John was going to do in heralding the arrival of the Messiah, who is Jesus. After 400 years without a prophet, the people had to be woken up, and so Zechariah sang. After 400 years with a prophet, the people needed to hear the old stories, and so Zechariah summed it up. He said, We're going to be delivered from slavery. That's verse 68 of Luke chapter 1. He said, We're going to be delivered from danger. That's verse 74 of Luke chapter 1. He said we're going to be delivered from a, forget. there's going to be a forgiveness of our debt. Zechariah sang about that in Luke 1 verse 77. In Luke 1 verse 78 and 79 he says there will be the dawning of a new day. And in verse 69 and 71 and 77 of Luke 1 he says there will be salvation in all this. Zechariah, silent for months, came and delivered a message about all the things that all the people had been waiting for, even though God had been silent. Church, let me ask you today are you frustrated that god has not been speaking the way you'd like i am I've spoken with you over the last number of weeks and months about how God does speak to us from time to time. He speaks to us through Scripture, certainly. Sometimes God speaks to his people in our hearts. Sometimes we have dreams. Sometimes others come to us, and it feels like, wow, that was God speaking to me through them. I believe all that is true and legitimate, but yet how many of us feel like we'd like to hear just a little bit more? We'd like to seek God. What are you doing? Would you tell me what are you doing? Why am I waiting? Why must this be? Why can't it be? Wouldn't you like to hear that answer from God? Do any of you sitting here right now feel like you need an answer about something, and it just hasn't quite come yet the way that you'd like it to? Well, let me say that you are in good company. The people of Israel for 400 years and Zechariah for nine months sat there in silence, just waiting And what happened? God came through. Here today, we sit here and and we've heard from God and we have all that we need. Let me be clear, church. We have all that we need for salvation and for right living with God. He has spoken enough through his scripture and through the good voices that you've heard so that none of us are with any excuse, well, God, I didn't know. No, we know but still don't we have our issues our things our details those things that are so difficult that we we'd love a little bit more when god doesn't speak when god chooses to be silent church do you still have hope can you still believe that god is at work like he was through alexander and the romans can can you believe that something amazing is going to happen like it did for zechariah and elizabeth these old folks who had a wonderful baby. Can you believe just as the Savior Jesus Christ was delivered and we'll hear more songs about his birth next week and the week after. Can you believe that just as God delivered then, he will deliver for us what he has promised, that is that Jesus Christ is gonna come back and set everything right and he's preparing a place for us in heaven and there will be a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more crying, no more tears, there is no death there and it is all God and all good. You buy it? Because that's our challenge. Some of you hate Christmas time right now. And that's okay. It's reminding you of stuff you don't want to think about, it's pointing out the losses that you wish you've not endured. For some of you, Christmas time highlights the things that, that you thought would be and that you thought would be so good and yet are not. A lot of us love it but some of us dread it. Let me tell you that God is at work on behalf of all of us as he prepares in the fullness of time to bring Jesus Christ back. God God gives comfort to those who mourn. And God is true to his promises. And even as we wait, and even when things seem silent, we can, as Hebrews chapter 11 says, we can be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This Christmas season, this Advent season, in spite of the silence, church, let's sing a song of faith. Let's sing a song like Zechariah's. Can we pray together? And let's take a moment to be silent. Church, I'm going to let you lift up whatever you need to lift up and then I'll close this in prayer. Let's pray in silence. Lord, you are an awesome God. You delivered. You delivered a son, John, to Zechariah and Elizabeth, even when it seemed impossible, and it was so good. Lord, you brought your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to earth in the most unexpected of ways. God, you have been active in our lives, and you've allowed us to be here today worshiping you. God, we adore you. God, forgive us for not always having faith to stick with you. Forgive us for the times when our confidence in you has faltered. Forgive us for the times when we've accused you of not caring just because you've been more quiet than we'd like. Lord, forgive us for assuming that just because you're not putting on a big show, forgive us for assuming that you're not doing anything. Lord, forgive us Forgive us for thinking that you don't love us. Lord, I thank you for all that you have done and all that you are doing. I thank you for the hope that you brought to Israel and that you hope, the hope that you bring to us in Jesus Christ. I thank you that people can be set free of their burdens, that we can be forgiven and set free of our sins. I thank you, Lord, that we can have salvation in Jesus Christ and we don't have to fear death anymore. I thank you, Lord, and I thank you... King Jesus, that you are preparing a place now for those who believe in you. And I thank you that even, even if we're not hearing from you like, we, like we'd like to, I thank you that you are at work. Lord, help us to believe it. And as we go forward in this Christmas time, Lord, strengthen our faith and strengthen our resolve so that we would remember that you are at work and that you love us and that we can be certain even of what we do not see. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our closing song this morning is Jesus Messiah. You're going to be hearing echoes of some of this scripture. Would you stand and and sing with us Jesus Messiah this morning?